0: Welcome to the Gathering Church. Boy, has it been a powerful morning so far or what? Can I get an amen on that? Amen. It's great stuff. And now it's me. So, <laughs> so we'll see how this goes here. I don't know if I, do I have my slides up here. Here we go. So a couple of things have gone on in my house, uh, my, my family in recent weeks. We've had a couple of transitions. Uh, one uh, just happened this week. My daughter, seventh grader now went to Bible camp and stood in front of hundreds of students and professed her faith in Jesus Christ and her desire to have him as her Lord. Which is, you know, I'm, I'm daddy, and it just almost makes me cry when I even say it. I'm just so proud of her coming to that, to that decision. And the other one is we have a 15-year-old in the house who just got his learner's permit. And uh, so we need prayer, and, and always <laughs> always... But what, what I loved about both of these transitions is they really lead into what we want to talk about today. In, in my daughter's case, starting her journey with Jesus as her Lord. And you'll see a bunch of words up here. This is our response. This is our next step once we put on Jesus. We, we want to strive for holiness, Christ-likeness, manifestations of our faith, change, surrender, and to be set apart from the world. It's Very similar to when we get our driver's license, right? Up to that point, all we knew was riding in the car and getting where we were going, and it just happened, right? Now I have to start paying attention. Now I have rules that apply to me. Now I have to have a response. And that's very similar to how it is when we accept Christ, not, not all that different. Uh, if everybody could do me a favor just real quick, could we just stand up? And then everybody look to your left. And then look back straight, and then you can sit back down. And I just want you to give yourself a hand. (laughs) All right. So what we just did is we proved that we're all pretty good at following directions, (laughs) okay? Really even the simple ones, and and some of them aren't as simple, but that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. What's next? When When I've accepted Christ, when I've put on this faith, when I've got the Holy Spirit to guide me, what's next? What does that look like? It's a very interesting quote by theologian Brennan Manning he says the, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle that is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable it's a scary thought that we would have that much effect but we do See, they see believers acknowledge Jesus, but they don't see that many actually following him or or following his directions. They see believers profess their faith but not act according to it. But there's great news about this. We have faith, and our faith has very special features. When my button works, there we go. So some things to know about faith. Faith shows Faith manifests. It's similar to if you, if you were a plant who your whole life was in a little pot inside the house. And then one day you got planted outside. Well, now you're free to grow and flourish and your roots grow deep. And every day you reach up to the sun as high as you can and you grow. Eventually, there's no way you could ever be back in that pot because you, your faith has manifested. Your, your situation has manifested. Faith grows, just like the plant. We don't don't stay how we were. We don't stay the kid riding in the back of the car. We eventually get our license, and we learn to drive, and we grow, and we accept responsibility. And faith changes. We're not who we were before. We're never bound to that person again. We have a road in front of us. There's a book called Not a Fan. It's by a gentleman by the name of Kyle Eidelman. If some of you may have read it, it's a really good book. It's about how we interact with God. And and the idea of not a fan is many believers treat God similarly to how we might treat the Dallas Cowboys or the Texas Rangers or Manchester United. Okay, just so we can get everybody covered. Anyone else? Okay. So when it's game day, we're all about our team. We're cheering. We won't even leave the TV. We're staring at it. We're watching it. But then when game day's over, we go back to our lives. We do what we want. We don't think about it that much. Maybe a conversation here or there if we find another fan around, right? But it doesn't really affect our lives. And that's how a lot of people treat God. And this book, Not a Fan, is all about we're not called to be fans. We're called to be followers. And there's a big difference because a follower takes what they're following with them and changes their lives according to it and aligns their lives according to it. Faith shows, faith grows, faith changes. Faith in Christ, excuse me, faith, lose my, faith in Christ not only makes a difference, but it makes us different. It makes us followers versus fans. James talks about it this way in the book of James. We're going to have a lot of scripture today because it's real important to me that you hear God talking and not me, okay? Real important. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith, works meaning acts or the way that you act, apart from your faith, than I can show you my faith apart from my works or how I act, right? Works and faith, faith and works, fit together hand in glove. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then observe that you're complacently sitting back as if you'd done something wonderful? That's just great. Well, demons do that, believe in God. At least they have the sense to be afraid. Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse in your hands? So this this passage is from the message. I'm going to read the New International Version. I'm going to have a lot of message passages because I really like the way Eugene Peterson breaks things down. Great, great version to kind of get another perspective. But the NIV says, says it this way. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds, by how I act, by how I've been changed. You believe there's one God? Well, good. Even demons believe that and shudder. So we see this dichotomy between faith and belief, right? And we, sometimes we think about them as the same thing, but they're very different. Faith that doesn't show, doesn't grow you, and doesn't change you is better described as belief. Demons believe, and even some Pharisees believe. Bob brought us this verse a couple of weeks ago uh, that made me laugh because every time I do a sermon, someone does one of the verses I was going to do. That's God working, I think. But he says, Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him, that is Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. You see, mere belief without surrender is a lot more susceptible to fear, doubt, and our own rationalizations of how we want to act and the things that we want to do, our desires and behaviors. See, we're at a point in our society, and even among many believers in Christ, where the truth in Scripture is less important than our own feelings and our own desires, and figuring out how to fit those in to the puzzle. And when this happens, the believer in Christ is not a follower, but rather a fan and kind of a self-worshipper who happens to also believe in God. God kind of becomes their insurance policy while they go out and do what they want to do versus the Lord of their life that my little girl professed on Thursday. Dr. James Kennedy has mentions this idea that tolerance, tolerance of everything around us in this world and our society is the last virtue of a depraved society. When an immoral society has blatantly and profoundly, profoundly violated all commandments, it insists upon one last virtue, tolerance for its immorality. Now, if that doesn't speak to our, our society today. I don't know what does. We, we are pressured. Society pressures us, believers included, to conform, to fit in, to agree, to tolerate. But as Christ followers, followers, not fans, we're called and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Did you, did you know that? When you accepted Christ and you became a saved individual, you received the gift of the Holy Spirit. You received a guide within you. God lives in you. And you can oh, you don't have to do what the world says to feel good anymore. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit to be set apart from the world and conform only to Christ himself. Romans talks about this. It says, therefore, NIV, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now that sounds like a misnomer, living sacrifices. But let's keep going. Holy and pleasing to God. Holy is important. Holiness. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You're not on your own. You don't have to make it up figuring out what to do. God is there to test and approve. If we'll just be transformed, if we'll just seek I like the way the message puts this passage. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you, of course. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Change. Faith changes. Readily recognizing what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. See, people of faith, we in this room and around the world who've accepted Christ are called to be holy. It's all over Scripture. 1 Peter 1.16, be holy as I am holy. This is actually a quote from Leviticus, which says, be holy because I, your God, am holy. Be like God, in other words. But what does holy mean? Okay, let's talk about that. Holy. The Greek word for holy is hagios. Uh, You see it in English here and then the Greek right below. It means set apart, sacred, called out. Different, special. That's who we're called to be. And there's verses all over Scripture about this. Here we go. Told you there's going to be a lot of Scripture here. First Peter 2. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Out of darkness into his wonderful light. 2 Corinthians, therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. How many things that contaminate body and spirit? Everything that contaminates body and spirit. Perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Hebrews, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord a lot of verses, and there's a lot more that I'm not reading. I'd encourage you to do a study on this for yourself. But why all this holiness and set-apart talk? Why are we talking about this so much? Listen, let's be clear. It's not about you earning your salvation through how great you can be. Let's be clear about that. Alright? But rather it's what our response to the Lord should look like once we've accepted Christ. And he gives us this because he knows us very well. He gives us these simple imperatives throughout Scripture. Like, stand up, look left, sit back down. Right? Except they sound more like give thanks in all circumstances, which we talked about back at Thanksgiving. It doesn't say feel thankful. It doesn't say like the circumstances. Give thanks. You'll be amazed if you'll follow that one little simple thing, how much it changes your perspective. How much God can get into that crack and take up with that space in your life. Repent and be baptized. Whole nother sermon. Be holy. Be holy. Why? Well, because the basic sin of man, the basic sin of man is selfishness, pride. The wanting to do what we want to do, not what someone else tells us we should do, right? All other sins come from that because we're only tempted to do things that on some level we kind of might want to try out, right? We're tempted because of our own selfishness to do what we want to do, not what God wants. And God knows that about us. So he gave us these imperatives. And sometimes we fail, often. Sometimes we give in. But when we make excuses, and boy, we're really good at this. All right, let me change this. I'm really good at this, Okay. We live, and we try to live in conformity to the world rather than conformity to Christ, when we make God in our image rather than spending our lives becoming more and more in conformity to him, we're not only missing the point, we might be missing the boat. And we're certainly creating stumbling blocks for people outside looking in, seeking the Lord, but really confused by our dichotomous behavior misaligned with the faith we profess. There's a story about a a successful popular manager at a company. Everyone wanted to work for this manager because he was going to ensure your success. He was the fun one. He brought all the good booze to the office parties. He met clients for happy hour. Occasionally he would even take potential clients to strip clubs all in the name of giving the client what they want to earn their business. He was the wheeler and dealer He could be counted on to fudge on a few rules and regulations, make sure his people could make their numbers and be successful. Everyone loved him. One day, he learned that one of his employees had accepted Christ over the weekend. He was so excited, he approached him and congratulated him, and he welcomed him to the club, suggesting now we can talk about our faith since we're on the same team. The employee just wept. And he said, You were one of the primary reasons I didn't come to Christ before now because I wanted to be just like you. I saw all that you had and how successful you were and I wanted to be just like you. And I thought, well, if you can be that way, you can have that much success and you don't need this Jesus thing, then why do I? Heaven forbid any of us should ever find ourselves in a situation where someone learns of our Christianity of our faith, and is surprised to hear it. Want to buy a cross? Now, this is a reference. When I was in youth ministry years ago, uh, I used to do the skit uh, at youth rallies and such. By the way, I've been counting. Dave touches his mic 72 times each sermon, so I'm on 51 now. I want, to be, I want to be just as good. So the, the idea is set the stage as you're in a cross shop, right? Um, I sell crosses. Someone comes in and goes, hey, I'd like to buy a cross. Oh, man, let me, let me show you our top-of-the-line model. It's right here. It's really big. You can take this. You can put it right in your front yard. It's, it's visible for miles, and everybody's going to know you're a Christian. The guy says, well, how much does it cost? He says, well, everything. Hmm. You got anything a little smaller, a little cheaper? Sure, yeah. Let me take you over here to our next model down. Medium sized cross. This one here, you can put this in the back of your car window. It fits in there perfectly. Everybody you see driving down the road is going to know you're a Christian. Whoa, oh, you sure? I think I like to speed sometimes. But yeah, but it, you, you'll, you'll love it. Everybody's going to know. How much does that cost? Mm, most of you. Uh, you got anything smaller and cheaper? He goes down to the desk size, right? All right, well, you can take this one. You can put it on your desk at home. You can put it on your desk at work. Everybody that passed by your desk is going to know you're a Christian. Well, how much does that one cost? It costs a little bit. And the guy says, I got anything a little bit smaller. He says, smaller than this? Yeah, just a little bit. And the guy just looks dejected. He hangs his head, goes to the back, pulls out a little tiny cross. Not dissimilar from the ones you all just pulled out of a bag this morning. And he says, "Here you go." It goes. Ah, oh, this is perfect. This is perfect because I can, I can profess Jesus when I'm at church, and it goes in my pocket, and no one has to know. I can be a Christian and not a Christian. I can fit in, and anywhere I go, I can fit in. I'm like a chameleon. This is perfect. How much does this cost? And the shopkeeper just says, "Nothing. Nothing." Jesus said. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So we have a glimpse here. We could do weeks on just this topic here, but we have just a glimpse of how we tend to be and how we should be as Christ followers, right? Just a little snapshot. But how do we become holy? How do we become set apart? Well, first, you need to understand this very clearly. There is no perfection. You don't need to walk around feeling guilty because you slipped up or you can't quite meet the standard because that's not how this works. This is a goal. This is a direction you're facing in, not a perfection of every step. Be very clear about that. Okay. God is here, and he knows our hearts, and that's what's important. Where is your heart? You will fail. You'll stumble on occasion, but there's a difference between struggling with something and outright choosing it according to our desires, regardless of what God says about it, right? Conforming God to our image. And even if we do do that, listen, it's not too late to repent. That's the beauty of the gospel. God is ready to run down that road and meet you. There's an important truth about faith I need you to understand here because there's a lot of misnomers. There's a lot of people that accept Christ and they think everything's going to be perfect. I'm not going to struggle anymore. Things are going to go my way, right? No. Faith does not deny that problems exist, nor does it remove the faithful from every struggle. But it does deny the struggle the power to control you because now you have somewhere to turn. The struggle doesn't have to control you. The struggle is just a situation. It doesn't affect your future. It doesn't affect who you are. It doesn't affect the truth. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2 to his church, I know your poverty and your affliction, yet you're rich. He didn't say, but just hang on. If you believe in me, I'm going to make you rich. You are rich. Because it's turning the idea of what richness is on its head. Turning the idea of what joy is on its head. It's not what the world thinks. Because we're set apart, we're called to a higher purpose. Second, don't take it from me. Let's just see what God has to say about this holiness, how we do it. Galatians 5, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So I say, walk in the spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh, that's us, the world, desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you're not to do whatever you want. Just don't do whatever you want. Don't use God's freedom to justify your own agenda. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Thank the Lord. I don't have to rely on mine. In all your ways, all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. He will guide you along that path. We don't have to come up with it. We're not on the hook to figure it all out on our own. We got a lot of imperatives that help out all through scripture. I'm going to give you the message version here. Trust God. From the bottom of your heart, don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who'll keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. Your body will glow with health. Your very bones will vibrate with life. Honor God with everything your own. Give him the first and the best. Your barns will burst. Your wine vats will brim over. But don't, dear friend, resent God's discipline. Don't sulk under his loving correction because it's the child he loves that God corrects. A father's delight is behind all of this. James 4, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Beauty, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. Synopsis, you're not alone. You have help. Praise God we have help. Because we are idiots, if we really want to be honest about it. That's, that's the basic premise of the sermon. I'm just kidding. But, so what's your pleasure? You know, God wants to be your source of peace. He wants to be your source of pleasure. He wants to be your source of comfort, your joy, your rest, your very identity. What's in your life that's sitting in a place that belongs to him, where faith needs to show to grow, to change you? What do you lean on when you feel stressed? What do you go to when you feel angry, overwhelmed, when you need to blow off some steam, when you crave an emotional high, when you want to belong? What do you use for these things that belong to God in His place? Is alcohol, drugs? Pornography, fornication, conformity, fear of loss, like our Pharisee friends, entertainment, popularity, language you use to fit in, worry, social media, Facebook likes, get my identity from our Facebook likes. Sounds silly, people do. Self importance, money. Those little convenient lies that really help us out. "Oh, I didn't mean to speed, officer. I, uh, a bug was on. There's a, there's a wasp in my car, whatever you come up. With. We've all seen it happen. We've probably all done something similar. Perpetual shopping. Anybody? Just kidding. I, I didn't look at my wife. Just kidding. <laughs> Let's just touch on one of these. This is not an exhaustive list. Let's just touch on one. Let's see what God has to say on the subject of alcohol. And I'm only going to pick one verse. There's lots about drunkenness and all that, but I don't want to go down that path too far. Ephesians 5, 15 through 18. Therefore, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, taking advantage of every opportunity because the days are evil. For this reason, don't be foolish, but be wise by understanding what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk with wine which is debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Instead, see, God always provides an alternative. He doesn't just give you a bunch of don'ts. He says, I got better. I've got way better. Come on, okay? Now listen, I know some of you just got a little fidgety in the room. There's nothing wrong, biblically, spiritually, with an adult legally having a glass of wine at dinner or a pint with their fish and chips, okay? <laughs> but listen, when we step from that into this idea of, I need a drink, But this party's lame, there's not even any alcohol. I can't enjoy the pool. I can't enjoy a wedding. I can't enjoy a children's birthday party unless there's a little bit for the adults. You see, we start to slip. We start to be chasing a high start to be chasing an escape and these are areas that God wants they don't belong to a chemical they don't belong to the conformity of society we begin to enter into territory where we're chasing and longing for that high we're longing for that escape which no longer a beverage is it it's now replacing what is the lords that high that escape that is territory That God wants to control, and He wants to give you more on a deeper level and a greater level than any chemical ever could, and without the nasty side effects and the potential long term destruction. In fact, when we consistently step away from the pattern of this world and fully surrender to the Lord, this is when, and this is only when, we can truly be fulfilled. We waste so much time chasing it in other places. And God just like, please, please just come to me. I've got it right here for you. If you'll just surrender, if you'll just let go, stop chasing it. I've already given it to you. You know, our family, we've uh, we made the decision as a family to be alcohol-free, not because we think there's a right or wrong to having a beverage, but because we have children that we want to model what it's like to have joy, to have peace, to have rest from a source that doesn't include any chemicals. Because eventually they're going to step into a world that says that's not true. And we, it's very important to us that they recognize that lie. Now I'm not saying that's right or wrong for any of your decisions. I'm just giving you what our decision was. There's, there's, it's not a black and white issue by any means. But that, that's our purpose. But listen, that's just a little thing on the, on the subject of alcohol. That's one of a giant list. That, that's just one. The bigger word in our passage here and I want to point out, I don't know if I have a pointer, but I'll just point out it, debauchery, okay? Don't get drunk on wine, which is debauchery. Other versions say which leads to debauchery. That's a better translation, actually, because debauchery is really what it's all about. That's really where, we, where things get us, right? Or I'm about to tell you what it is. <laughs> It's not just about drunkenness or alcohol, okay? It's, it's about overindulgence, overindulgence in anything, really, but mainly physical pleasures, overindulgence in us, overindulgence in me, overindulgence in I, what I want in this world, what I want from this world, and what we want. Without regard for what God wants to grow us up to a higher path, that's debauchery. It comes from the word debauch, Uh, 16th century English word it actually means to destroy or to debase the moral purity of to corrupt or to lead astray debauchery now there are many things that try to lead us astray that take God's place in our lives but there's something you need to know God wants all of us all of us and he's got Way better gifts to give than anything this world can offer. God wants to be your source of peace, pleasure, comfort, joy, rest, identity. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, the New International Version, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's beautiful to know. I will give you rest. How much of our time do we spend just trying to find rest? If I put in these hours now, I can have a longer weekend and have some rest. If you know, we, we spend a lot of our time planning our vacations, everything around trying to find rest so we can just stop. And God offers that every day, every hour, every minute. If you'll just let him give it to you. Just let him give it to you. Let him be the Lord of your life. Because God wants unconditional surrender. So this is now we're gonna get to the little trinkets you all pulled out of the little bags. If you would hold that in your hand real quick, except for the worship team, which has to start moving. You can use it as a guitar pick if you want. JJ. See what what you're holding is just a representation, just a reminder, just like a finger a ribbon around your finger. To just remember, what's your one thing? What's in your life sitting in a place that belongs to God right now? Pick one that's most in your heart, that's most on your heart. If it's not coming to you, just ask God to reveal it because I promise you, you have some, okay? These are just reminder tokens to help you remember to surrender your one thing. Put it on your pillow so you have to move it at night and think, put it in your pocket purse, hang it on your rearview mirror, or maybe you have a better memory than me and you don't need it at all. It's just a little token to represent our, our remembering. You know, I'm reminded of an old hymn. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him. In his presence, daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow worldly pleasures all forsaken take me jesus take me now everybody would stand for me please i'm just going to ask you to close your eyes and i just want you to think listen to these words and think about that your one thing it's from the song so will i that we sing here creation sings your praises so will i If creation still obeys you, so will I. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. If the wind goes where you send it, so will I. If you gladly chose surrender, so will I. Father, we just, we need your help. It's your breath in our lungs. We just invite you to take us and to reveal to us where you want to be, what we can release, what we need to surrender to be yours and fully yours. Fill us, guide us to surrender completely. We trust you, God, and we love you. In Jesus' name.